0: This Mother's Day, you know, I am reminded, uh, just like many of you, I am reminded of, of my mother and, and some of the things that she went through and some of the things that she endured as she and my father raised our family. I, I'm the youngest of four boys, and so the age difference between myself and my oldest brother is 14 years. And so whenever I graduated high school, I started thinking about this. I did the math on this, and I figured up that from the time that my oldest brother Randy began school as a kindergartner until the time that I graduated high school in 1996 that my parents had had a child in school for 28 straight years. Okay, those of you that's got a kid graduating high school and you're like man like we're transitioning, see they they had to transition but then they had kind of had to stay in the same mode because there was always another one coming up, and so, uh, you know, 28 years—that's a lot of lunches, that's a lot of pencils and folders and paper and and clothes and socks and shoes—and my mother had the job of making sure that we had all of those things and everything that we needed. She did a great job juggling all that, and she was babysitting early uh, when I was uh, when I was very young, three or four. Years old, she was babysitting while doing all these things, and then she went to nursing school. She worked as a nurse as I got older, and so, uh, so I'm reminded of the sacrifice that she made. Just as you're reminded of the sacrifice your mother made, you know. Today, obviously, I get to see my wife uh, love our children. Leah loves our kids. She nurtures them. She makes sure that they have what they need. But even more than that, she prays with them and she teaches them about the things of God. And it is amazing to see um, what she is doing, how God is using her. I'm constantly reminded of of God's blessing uh, in our home with, with bringing her to us. And so the call of a mother is very important. It's a very special calling of God. And so today I want to draw your attention to a passage in the Gospel of Matthew uh, where we're going to see Jesus honoring a mom. So I want to Take a look at this passage. It's in Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28, as we see some characteristics of the great faith of a godly mom. Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. "'When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. "'Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, "'Have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David!' My daughter is cruelly tormented by a demon. Yet he did not say a word to her. So his disciples approached him and urged him, Send her away because she cries out after us. So he replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He answered, It isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was cured. Father, we pray this morning that as we give you thanks and praise for the Ministry of a godly mother and the life of a family, the life of a community, God. Father, we pray that we would see some principles from your word, Father, about what it means to be a faithful disciple of Christ. And Father, may all of us understand what you are saying to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we talk about this great faith, the great faith of a godly mother. A person of great faith. See, see, this great faith, when you have a faith like that, it will encourage bold humility. Okay? So that's the first thing. This great faith is going to encourage bold humility. Okay? So if you look at verse 22, it says, "...just then a Canaanite woman from that region came in and kept crying out to him. And she was saying, have mercy on me, son of David." So Matthew tells us that she came to Jesus. She approached him. She was bringing her problems to the feet of God. It says that she kept crying out to Jesus. So this is is a continual thing. It's not that she knelt and she cried to Jesus. She continued crying out to Jesus. She had no doubt that Jesus had the power to heal and the power to help her. She understood that she was facing a problem that was much bigger than she was. She she understood that the problem she had went beyond the comforts and the preferences of life. She she came to Jesus. She told Jesus her problem. It's It's a huge problem. She says, my daughter, my daughter, my child is tormented by a demon. She's being overrun with evil in her life. This this account is also found in the Gospel of Mark in the 7th chapter. And the Gospel of Mark gives us a little detail that Matthew doesn't. You see, Mark tells us not only that it was a daughter, but that she was a little girl. A little girl being oppressed by an evil spirit. Can you imagine the desperation of this mama in, in, in that time, in that situation? The desperation that she would have felt? I mean, she comes to Jesus... With a huge problem. She's not coming to Jesus saying, hey, I need new clothes. Hey, I want to go on a shopping spree. Hey, I need, a, I need a better vacation or I need a vacation of some sort. She doesn't come to Jesus saying, hey, I want more money. But she comes to him because she is desperate. She's desperate for the spiritual condition of her little girl. Moms and dads, are you desperate for the spiritual condition of your children? Are you desperate to see God work in the life of your children? Let me tell you something. When when you're desperate for something, you don't don't wait around. You don't sit around and and hope that everything just kind of works out, okay? When you're desperate, uh, when you're desperate for the heart of your children, you become very proactive, not reactive. You start thinking and praying about what it is that you need to do, and how it is that you can help address these things. How can you navigate your kids towards the Lord? What can you do? What do you need to be doing in their life? When Leah and I were expecting Christian, I was on staff over at Gower Springs, and and, uh, we went through. They had a class uh, for uh, new and expecting parents, and it was sort of a you know, a a discipleship, a spiritual class. It it wasn't necessarily about changing diapers or any of that stuff. It was about, hey, how do you help your children in their faith? Even Even from the very first moments, from the time that they're babies. And one of the things that they told us in that class is that we needed to be praying for our children. We need to regularly pray for them. We pray for their salvation, pray for their health. We pray even now and even then we were praying for their future spouse. We're praying right now, I mean not literally this moment, but in these days we are praying for the wife that Christian and Caleb will one day marry. We're praying for their friends and the people that God will Bring into their lives, and we're praying for ourselves regularly—not selfish prayers, but, but prayers that where, where God, would you help us to know what we need to be doing as a mom and a dad in order to guide our children in such a way uh, that their lives their lives would be lived submitted to you. See, we are actively concerned about the spiritual condition of our children, and that will not end, by the way, when they become teenagers. Okay? It doesn't end then. It keeps going. It will not end when they're adults. And as long as they give us uh, the ability, as especially as adults, if they give us the ability to have influence and impact on them, which we pray they will, we will continue to be proactive In helping to navigate them towards the things of God as much as they will allow us to do it, even as adults. Ephesians chapter 6, and we haven't gotten there in our study in Ephesians just yet. But Ephesians 6.12 tells us that our battle, the battle that we fight as believers, our battle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. See, we are fighting a battle, friends, and it is not a physical battle. The enemy of God is alive and well, and he is attacking. And and here's a reality check, okay? Uh, He doesn't always come, in the form of uh, of somebody wearing a, a a hood, okay now it does happen those things horrible things have happened uh, you know through terroristic things and, 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 and you know international incidents and people coming here and trying to kill our people but friends, the enemy of God is alive, alive and well in your homes he is he is attacking through the internet he is attacking through. Uh, through, uh, through friends, he is uh, attacking your children through a culture. They're, the culture, he is attacking them through the culture that surrounds them. So I want you to understand that, that from the very beginning... See, this is no different from the very beginning. Satan has been attacking the family unit. Remember what happened with Adam and Eve. What happens in Genesis 3 from the very beginning? Satan comes to Eve... And says, are you sure that God told you that? You can't really believe that. Are you, doesn't this look good? Wouldn't you really rather have this? See, he was attacking the family unit. The fall of man happens because the enemy of God attacked the family unit. You have to understand that today, maybe maybe more than ever before, the enemy is attacking and there is a spiritual war for the minds and the hearts of the next generation and of the generations to come. And moms and dads, if you do not realize that, then you have lost the battle already. God has a plan for your family. He has a plan for your children. He has a plan for His church. This mama comes to Jesus... She humbles herself before Him, pleading with Him. Friends, humble yourselves in prayer to God. Pray for your kids and pray for yourselves. Pray for the the parents in our community. Maybe you're not actively parenting today. Pray for the people that are. Humble yourselves before God in prayer. But also, humble yourselves before God through studying the Word of God. So this woman, she comes Boldly, because she knew who Jesus was. She says, son of David. This is a messianic term. Now this, this tells us that she believed that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. She knew something about scripture. She knew something about the word of God. Because she knew enough, not only to believe here was a man who could heal. But here is the Messiah, the son of David. You've got to humble yourselves in prayer and humble yourselves in the word of God. She came boldly because she had a bold belief in God. But I want you to also notice that although she came boldly, she did not come arrogantly. She did not come arrogantly. L- listen, you-, you can't just waltz your way into God's presence, okay? You, you don't just just uh, swag in on God, okay? You-, you, don't- you don't just show up and demand that God... Uh, do something in your life. Hey, Lord, I deserve better. I deserve this and I deserve that. Hey, you owe me, God. God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe any of us anything. What we deserve, Scripture tells us, is death, hell, and the grave. But praise God that according to His grace, the Creator of the universe invites you and me to come into His presence, and He invites us to cast our cares upon Him because He Cares for us. She didn't show up with some name it and claim it type of verse, you know. uh, Hey, because you know, if I just believe it enough, you know that that anything will happen. That's not what that's not what she does. She shows up. uh, She she shows up pleading with God. She wasn't demanding that God heal her daughter. She was pleading for God to heal her daughter, and that's when she she calls him Son of David. Uh, she believed in, in the Messiah of God. She knew that this is who Jesus was. You see, she came to Jesus because she believed in the power of Jesus and the power that Jesus had to spiritually heal her daughter. Friends, if you're not concerned for what God wants for your family, for your for your marriage, your kids, your grandkids, if you're not concerned about that, and you're not proactive in that. What does that say about what you really believe? Oh, I'll just wait and we'll just let them figure it out. I sure hope they choose Jesus one day, but I don't want to pry. What's that say about what you believe? Do you really believe that there's a God that loves your kids? Do you believe there's a God who died on the cross for your children and that wants to redeem them through the blood of the Lamb, a God that created both you and your children for a specific, unique, amazing reason? Do you believe that? Because if you really do, then it will cause you to be proactive in your approach to your parenting. It will cause you to uh, and encourage you to have a bold humility as you approach the throne of God with your problems. It also, it encourages you, but it will also uh, cause you to endure the complications. See, the great faith, it encourages, but it also endures the complications of life. Verse 25, 27, we see she's pleading, she says, Lord, help me, and then Jesus has this interaction with her about, uh, about the children and the dogs. And, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But her response is, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You see, see great faith, real faith, it does not give up. It does not quit. In order to understand this passage, and really in its full context, you kind of got to know what's happening and going on here. So Scripture t- teaches us, and we see at the beginning of the passage, that Jesus withdraws, and he, where, where he was was Jerusalem and Israel. He withdrew to an area of two communities called Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are not actually in Israel. So he has withdrawn not only from Jerusalem, but he has went across the borders. Scholars tell us that this is the first time during the ministry of Jesus that he will cross into another country. Now, he's crossed into another country before as a kid. You remember when they flee to Egypt? But since his ministry has begun, then this is the first time that he crosses into another country. He goes outside of the territory of Israel. Uh, Tir and, and, and Sidon, if this helps you, if you're visual like me, that is right where Beirut, Lebanon is today. It's just about... 12 miles or so north of the Israel Lebanon border. And so Jesus and his disciples have retreated up there. This was an area that was populated, but obviously it's not in Israel. It was populated by Gentiles. If you don't know what a Gentile is, that's just a generic name for anybody who's not a Jew. Okay? You and I are Gentiles. Most of us in this room. There probably were some of Jewish descent, very possibly. But most of us, uh, if you're not from Jewish descent, you are of Gentile descent. They were non-Jews. So verse 22, it says that this Canaanite woman, she was a Canaanite. She was a Canaanite. Now, if you study the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 7, uh, God tells, uh, tells the nation of Israel when they possess the promised land, He says, you need to destroy the Canaanites. And so, as Jesus Shows up here in Canaanite territory, and these these Jewish men show up. You can imagine there's a little social and political tension that is in the air and that's going on here. And this woman, as a Canaanite, to the Jews, they would have seen her as uh, as unclean. They would have considered her an idolater because it would have been assumed that she worshipped. Uh, other gods, because nobody, of course, but an ethnic Jewish person could ever worship the God of Israel. That was—that's was not true, but that's what many of them assumed. And, and in many cases, that was probably true. But she—they saw her because she was a Canaanite. They saw her as unclean. They—they they assumed that she was an idolater, They saw her as immoral. They—they they saw her as an outsider. And so, these the disciples of Jesus. This is how they would have seen this woman. And so. Verse 22, she comes into the presence of Jesus and she asks Him for help. And then in verse 23, it says that He doesn't even say anything to her. Like he doesn't even respond. He doesn't say yes. He doesn't say no. He doesn't say maybe so. He just keeps on walking. He just, he just keeps on going. And so here she is at the feet of Jesus with her problems and He didn't even respond to her at first. Now, now I'm sure that if she's like me or like many of us, she probably might have felt a little ignored at that point. She might have felt like God really didn't care about her problems. And that's where a lot of us, that's where a lot of us, we would have just given up. We've been out. We would have said, hey, I'm done with this. You know, I, I come to Jesus. I, I, I come to him. I ask for help. I believe in him. And he doesn't even say a word. And so she... She didn't give up, but most of us, we would have bailed. We would have walked off frustrated with God, mad at God, and running from God. We would have been been upset that whatever it is that we're praying for hasn't happened yet. Friends, let me ask you something. What do you do, and how do you react when you pray for something, and you don't get the answer that you're looking for? How do you respond? How do you deal with it? with that. You know, a lot of people, they just stop praying. They say, you know, I prayed and it didn't happen, so I'm just not going to pray anymore. Great theologian F.B. Meyer said that the greatest tragedy in life is not an unanswered prayer, but an unoffered prayer. The greatest tragedy in life is not the unanswered prayer, but the unoffered prayer. I would even take that a step further just as, as a point of clarification. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. Okay? I love the song. I love Garth. It's a great song, the unanswered prayer song, but there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. There, there's a such thing as an unyessed prayer. Okay? There, there's, God will either say yes, no, or not right now. That's always the answer. That is always the answer. But yet, a lot of times we we pray things, and we get that no or that not right now. We don't hear that yes we're looking for, and we just want to run. For instance, this woman would have ran. She would have got frustrated. She would have missed out on something amazing that God was going to do. But not only does Jesus not respond to her, but the disciples, see, they're a little annoyed with her. They Remember, they saw her as an outsider and all of these things. And so, so they, they come to Jesus, and, and they said, Tell her to go away. They said, send her away. She's bugging us, okay? She's getting on our nerves. She won't quit. Jesus, get, get rid of this lady. Jesus, she's not like us. Look, Jesus, she does not deserve our time or your time. Jesus, she's not from Israel. She doesn't go to temple all the time. She's not ethnically, uh, uh, ethnically Jewish. Jesus, listen, we didn't come here to help her. We came here for some other reason. Get rid of her. Whether they said it out loud or not, I imagine some of the disciples were thinking, because she comes to Jesus with this problem, the problem is that she has a daughter. Her little girl is demon-possessed. She is is being um, oppressed by an evil spirit. Remember, they assumed that she was an idolater. They assumed that this woman, because she was a Canaanite, that she worshipped the devil. And at one point, maybe she did. We don't know. We're not told that. But I, 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 I imagine that some of the disciples, when she came to him with this problem, and she kept on and on and on and on, I imagine some of them may have thought something like this. They may have thought, you know, Jesus, her daughter, maybe she has a demon because her mama exposed her to the evils of pagan Religion. This woman comes from a culture that worships the devil, and that's why the daughter is possessed. Jesus, send her away. She doesn't deserve any help or any grace today. But you know the truth is, none of us deserve the grace of God. If we deserved it, it wouldn't be grace at all, would it? Listen, we ask you something. Where would you be if not for the grace of God? Who would you be today if God had not intervened in your life? Where would you be if you had not encountered God in your life and you have not not come in contact with His grace? See, that's an important question because uh, because when you begin to realize the impact that God has made on your life, it, it, it begins to impact the way you see other people, the way you see people who are not walking with Jesus? How do you see those who are not walking with Christ? How do you see those that are struggling and hurting because of sin in their life? How do you see people who have problems that are different from yours? I heard somebody say, and I believe this true that uh, this is true, that the church should be a hospital for the broken, not a hiding place for the fortunate few. See, the disciples, they had no desire to help this desperate mama. No desire at all. And so let's let's go on. She comes to Jesus. She's pleading with Jesus. She's doing the right thing, mind you. She's pleading with Jesus to heal her daughter. Jesus doesn't respond. And then the disciples jump in and say, Tell her to go away. She's annoying us. And then Jesus finally says something to her, but it's not really what he what she was expecting. He basically tells her. He says that he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, and that implies that it, it, the implication there may have it may have been implied or assumed in that 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 he was not going to help her because she wasn't. Jewish. There's another complication. You know, wall after wall she's hitting, but she keeps on and she keeps on. What does she do? She continues and she says, but Lord, help me. It says she knelt down and cried, Lord, help me. She's not giving up. She's persistently pleading with God. She is faced with complication after complication after complication and still does not give up on seeing God work in the life of her little girl. Moms and dads, I want to encourage you not to give up on the work of God in the life of your kids. I want to encourage you to be persistent. But then Jesus does something else. He says something else that could be taken as, just quite honestly, kind of offensive. He, he, He calls her a dog, okay? Now, I want you to understand... 2,000 years ago, that was about as popular as it is today. Okay? That was, that was not popular in those days. He, he answered, he said, he said, after she says, but Lord, help me, I'm begging you. He says, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs. Now, in its context and in that culture they would have understood that maybe a little differently than we hear it today. It still was real harsh, maybe not quite as harsh, because, uh, because the children, uh, that represents the people of Israel, and then the dogs, which really, it really, if you look at that word in the Greek, it, it really means puppy or little dog, uh, which is still kind of offensive, but not quite as bad, I guess. Uh, but that represents the people who are non Jewish, and so people say, "Well, why did he? Why did he say this? And why why would he? Why would he say this? That this woman comes to him, she's humble. She believes that that he can heal, and and he ignores her. And then she keeps on, and she's still persistent. She's praying persistently, just like we're taught to in Scripture. And then he calls her a dog. Why would he do this? Some say that he was testing her faith. That he wanted to see what she would say. I say that Jesus knew what she would say. I believe that, that Jesus said this to her so that other people could see what great faith looks like. That, that for people, maybe even not only here today, but probably somewhere else today, there's somebody else preaching this passage that, that today we could see what the faith of a devoted mother looks like. See, Jesus knows everything. You can't fool him. He knows what's in your heart. He says this because he knew what she would say. You see, I always say that, um, you know, if you squeeze something hard enough that what is on the inside will be forced out. And so Jesus spiritually was squeezing her. Can you imagine what it would be like if some religious leader today said that to somebody? I mean, even if it was Jesus in the flesh, he comes back and you know there's media everywhere and and at that point there wouldn't have just been crowds, everybody would have had their cell phones, you know, if it happens today. Can you imagine if there was a little recording of Jesus saying that to somebody, calling this woman, referring to her and her culture as a dog? I mean, people would have been, they would have, you would have heard things like, how dare you say that to me? I am so offended. I've never been talked to like that. I, I, I'm not going to take this from you or from anybody else. Hey, I'm going to sue. You know? It would have been, you know? Whoopi and all the ladies on The View would be ranting and raving about it and the talk, okay? Oprah would have to chime in at some point, right? You just imagine the, the, the hysteria and the spectacle that the response to that would be today. But what does she do? She keeps on asking. She does not quit. She keeps pleading. She keeps interceding for her little girl. She understood that there were bigger things at stake in this world than the way that the culture would perceive her as a woman. See, none of that really matters when you're concerned about your children and when they're in danger, whether it be physical or spiritual. Her posture before Jesus was kneeling. She was worshiping Jesus, even as this was happening She's worshiping him. Uh, Moms and dads, one of the the things that you can do in your life to impact your children and grandparents, your grandchildren, nieces and nephews, cousins, these the children that God puts in your life. It's worship God. Worship God, not just here at church. Worship God in your home. Worship God in the car. Worship God. And worship God with your children because they're going to see that. And God's going to use that in their life as they learn what it means to worship the Lord. He said, is it right to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs? And she says, yet the dogs, even the dogs, eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You know, at our house, we're dog people. Some people are cat people. Some people are dog people. Some of you try to do both. You're just kidding yourselves, okay? Um <laughs> You're one or the other, right? We're dog people at our house, and we have our, if you've been to our house and ever hung out over there, you've met our dog, little Rusty, Rusty Campbell. He is, uh, he'll be 10 years old next month. We've had him for 10 years. We had Rusty before we had our kids. And so, Rusty, he goes a lot of places with us. He, I could tell you a lot of funny stories about Rusty. Maybe one day I will. But one of the things about Rusty is he's just like any other dog. See, when we're eating, if you come to our house and you eat at our table, you're going to find Rusty, he might be circling the table, but if he can, he'll kind of get underneath the table. So he's got a shot at anything that drops on the ground. He's waiting for a crumb or a a piece of food, hopefully maybe even a little piece of meat to drop down on the ground. And if it does, man, he's going to scoop it up. He's going to eat it you all see him when, when, when these things drop to the ground his, his face lights up and his little, his little tail wags and he gets over there and he, he gets that food and you can see the joy in his face. Because the reality is, is that the crumbs from our table, I'm just guessing, I've never actually compared the two but I'm guessing that the crumbs that come of, off of our table taste a little better than that old dog food that he eats every day. Right? See Scripture tells us that one day, if you're a believer in Christ, you will sit at the banqueting table of God. But yet, we are also shown in Scripture the principle that none of us are worthy to sit at that banqueting table. In fact, we're not even worthy to patrol the floor under the table looking for His scraps. But the truth is, is that the scraps of God's grace is way better than anything else that you could get to or experience on this earth. Great faith begs God for the crumbs of his grace. You remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Matthew 7, he says pray without ceasing. Luke 11, he says knock and the door will be open, Asking and you shall receive, seek, and you will find. Actually, if you read that in its original language, let me tell you what the proper literal definition is. And it's implied in the English version, but you don't see it as clearly in the English. The act, it's actually written in the Greek in Luke 11. is: keep asking, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be open. Keep seeking, and you will find. Ask, and it'll be delivered the faith of a devoted mom the great faith of a godly mom will encourage it will endure and it will affect it'll affect others and and as a mom or a dad you're hoping and praying that that will be your children look at jesus's response he says he says woman your faith is great let it be done for you as you want and from that moment her daughter was cured see, she sought the face of God. She endured complications, tragedies, disheartening things, but she did not give up on God. And God used that to have an eternal impact, to affect her daughter in a spiritual way, to see God's blessing upon her life. You know something that's interesting about this? This woman of great faith, Jesus says you're a woman of great faith, Her name is not even given in Scripture, neither in Matthew or Mark. We don't even know her name. She is an unknown hero. She's an unlikely woman in an unlikely place. Moms, you are unknown heroes. You want God to work in the life of your children? Model this as a mother, as a father. Model this as a believer and see God working in the lives of those around you. Moms and dads, church family, the question really is, what kind of faith do you have? And what kind of faith are you going to have? Jesus says, woman, go home, for you have great faith. Let it be done as you want. Your daughter is healed. That, my friends... That is great faith and that is the kind of faith that I want to have. Let's pray.